0: in the morning when you want the news
1: you need the front page every hour on the press box nothing's writing on this except the
0: uh, first amendment the constitution freedom of the press and maybe the future of the country not that any of that matters and now the news
2: urban meyer got his first win in the nfl happened in london Jaguars beat the Dolphins with a walk-off field goal. All right, Adam, I give you the scenario. You need to win one NFL game. Which coach would you prefer to have? Brian Flores, Urban Meyer, or Vic Fangio?
1: Oh, boy. Uh, I'm going to take Vic Fangio. Oh. And I'm going to take Vic Fangio for one reason only. He seems to have figured out fourth down this year. (laughs) Um, So, (laughs) I feel like if in... (laughs) If in year two, Vic Fangio could figure out how to handle fourth downs, maybe there's hope for progress. Uh, You know, Brian Flores coached just a horrendous game yesterday. And, you know, uh, Urban Meyer got the win. It was a real grind.
2: (laughs) I'm out. Aaron Rodgers taunted Bears fans (laughs) yesterday. Uh, The Packers won. Aaron Rodgers pretty much sealed that up with a rushing touchdown and then yelled uh, to the Bears fans that he still owns them, that he's owned them all his bleeping life. Um, First off, this is significantly better than ever taunting or what the NFL thinks is taunting opposing players. Like we should be taunting away fans or home fans. I should say every single time a player does something well.
1: I feel like what Aaron Rodgers has become on the field is kind of like he has become the living Kevin Durant's Twitter account, right? Like he's trolling everyone and nobody can say a word because he's that good. Like Aaron Rodgers is just enjoying every moment of this. And I'm here for it. I'm here for every single bit of it. Um, Aaron Rodgers has earned the right to do these sorts of things. And a lot of guys don't do these sorts of things when they uh when they earn that right, and Aaron Rodgers is living every moment of it.
2: All right. Let me know if this is reading way too far into this. Kaylin Collar tweeted out that she asked Aaron Rodgers about shouting I still own you because it might be his last time playing the Bears in this rivalry at Soldier Field. And Aaron Rodgers talked about it and how many times he's come and played at Soldier Field against the Bears. And he finished up his quote by saying, I don't think this is my last one, but I've enjoyed every single one. Am I reading too much into that that says Aaron Rodgers is going to be playing for the Packers against the Bears next year?
1: You 100% are reading too much into that because uh, Aaron Rodgers, if anything, in these quotes in the media has shown that he is perfectly willing to toy with everyone. So I don't think he's trying to send any coded messages uh, this particular time, though. That's crafty wording right there. I give you credit.
2: (laughs) Ed Orgeron will not return to LSU next season. He will finish out this season. Uh, He won the national championship back in 2019. A long time ago. Uh, His buyout is going to be over $16 million. Now... Uh, LSU has obviously not had a lot of success, but beyond the off-field success since the national championship, The Athletic had a story yesterday about Ed Orgeron and basically how he has responded and acted since winning the national championship, including this detail. Orgeron pulled up to a woman at a gas station wearing exercise attire, said, hey, you look like you work out. We could work out together. The woman informed Ogeron she was married and pregnant, to which he responded, Why does that matter? The woman was the wife of a high-ranking LSU official. Word of this reached the LSU Board of Supervisors, the collection of prominent Louisiana attorneys and business owners appointed by the governor who make the most important decisions at LSU. And of course, it reached LSU Athletic Director Scott Woodward. So there is a lot more to this than just Ed Ogeron not winning football games there is Ed Orgeron not a good person over the last two years since winning the national title.
1: But let's be clear about one thing. Ed Orgeron isn't coming back next season because he's not winning games. Yes. If this happened and Ed Orgeron was competing for a national championship, Ed Orgeron would still have a job. He would get a big, big, fat slap on the wrist, and, and he would still be allowed to be the football coach of LSU. But because you've got this on top of the fact that LSU is a middling football team uh, then, yeah, I don't think Ed had any chance of hanging
2: around. Uh He got divorced, I think it was two months after they won the national championship, and part of the reporting went from The Athletic was that it was the first time in his life that like he was on top of the world, and all of a sudden he was single, and to the point where he would just bring his current girlfriends to practice, and people said he would not be all that engaged in practice, and even at some times, there would be kids of his girlfriends that would go and enter into drills with the players.
1: I too have things going on in my personal life right now, even, mm. and I don't want to share them with anybody. Uh so when I come to work, I don't bring my personal life with me.
2: Oh, I don't on, bring Adam. my
1: girlfriends with me. I don't bring my uh my girlfriend's children, which I don't think exists uh with <laughs> you me. Don't sound too um, confident about well he that. said uh, he uh, also yeah.
2: said girlfriends. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, no, I'm just playing the Ed Orgeron game. Um, don't don't make me Aaron Rodgers. Uh, yeah, um, look I, I guess there's some sort of sympathy to be had for Ed Orgeron somewhere in there to be like, yeah, man, um, you had your come up, you, you you dumped your wife, and you decided to, you know, go hard and go young. But like, if you lose your job over it, clearly, uh, clearly, you didn't do it uh, the Derek Jeter way here, did you?
2: still getting 16 million dollars to go away so it's not too tough to be at yeah well uh,
1: that, that that is going to buy a lot of exercise attire okay well the only question i have is are they gonna have to like get someone different to
2: be a like weird tertiary character in young rock season two what do you think See, now that's a reference to some movie or show that I should not have ever seen. Okay, so The Rock has his own soul. I'm fully aware no. of no. what it is. Fully no. aware of what no. it is. I don't need to have seen that one.
0: Next question.
2: Uh, some college football. <laughs> uh, let's put these two together. Purdue beat number two Iowa 24-7. to That was a bad game. And Cincinnati beat Central Florida 56-21, to meaning... Cincinnati is now ranked number two in the country. Their mascot had a sign that said Bama wants us. I like that a lot. Um, (laughs) I don't don't know what to do with this college football season, but I do feel like we're going to get enough losses that we're just going to come back to Georgia, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State in the college football playoff.
1: Doesn't it feel like... There's something inevitable to the idea of Cincinnati losing at home to SMU like one week away from making the playoff, and everybody dropping them down to like number 17 (laughs) in the country. It just feels like this has to happen um, because we don't really truly want a group of five team in the playoff. You're right. It's a weird season Uh, to go back to the Iowa thing. Look, Iowa was never the number two team in the country, but we were kind of at that point where we were like playing a price is right game where you're trying to guess the right price and you're taking the numbers and moving them into different combinations and pulling the lever and seeing if you win. Like that was kind of the voters with Iowa going number two, like let's see if this works. No, it was never going to work. Spencer Petras can't be the quarterback of the number two team in the country.
2: They were plus 15 in turnover margin in their first six games, which is a pretty insane number and a pretty unsustainable margin. Uh, to hold up over the rest of the season and that's kind of what you saw against Purdue is once you don't have you know once you're not plus three in turnovers pretty much every game it's gonna be much harder to actually win and even if it's Purdue that comes in and beat you it's not great
1: so let's think about the beginning of this season for college football overall we looked at the Big Ten and said how could you bet on anyone other than Ohio State to win the Big Ten because the rest of this conference is garbage and somehow still got fooled into elevating Iowa to number two at some point.
2: <laughs> All right. So what are we going to do? Is Michigan State next? Who are we putting up there next?
1: Ugh. Yeah, sure. You know, like <laughs> you said, just, sure. just, just run another few through the police lineup before you get the ones you just mentioned back into the playoff. Man, you know that's a great question. Tennessee fans delayed
2: their game twenty minutes. By throwing trash onto the field after Tennessee was ruled short on a fourth down conversion. Lane Kiffin got hit like in the arm with a golf ball that was thrown from the crowd. Uh, Tennessee cheerleaders left the field because they were being hit with trash. Almost ended up winning 31-26. What's actually funny about this is that Tennessee got the ball back after that and had a chance to win. Had a ball go off a receiver's hands in the end zone they would have won the game for Tennessee but we had a 20 minute delay because they would not stop throwing trash on the field
1: well Tyler I believe it is officially time for you to update your list of worst fan traditions in the SEC
2: so <laughs> what throwing mustard bottles on the field at, at Neyland Stadium
1: I think that that might officially be number one here um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, th- this feels like catharsis for Tennessee fans who've had to watch the last two decades of this program. Like, the, Peyton Manning ain't walking through that door. Like, this is a <laughs> long, long time ago for the Tennessee was a relevant program. Um, you know, it added to the fire, that, like USC football and, dare I say, you know, UNLV basketball of past glory that everyone is still kind of getting by on brand.
2: Um. It's uh, not great for Tennessee football. And that was like, that's, I think that's a good sign of where Tennessee football is. That was for their fan base hyped up as a massive game. They had a night game on home at home against Ole Miss. And it was on sec network. And that was like one of their big moments of the entire year. And they didn't even win the game. Like it's, It's not a great program. It's not a great team at the moment. And, you know, I guess you lose to Ole Miss and you spend 20 minutes throwing stuff on the field. What what I actually enjoyed the most was Lane Kiffin apparently told his players, hey, just put your helmets on. We're going to finish the game. And then somebody from Tennessee came over and said, hey, get your players off the sidelines so they stop getting hit with water bottles.
1: Football coach, baby. (laughs) Football coach. You got a helmet on. How's that water bottle going to hurt you? You're fine. Get out there. We need to send Cassie Soda
2: to games with a helmet oh, on.
1: She does need a helmet. Oh, you know, I can't tell you that. The Chicago
2: Sky won the WNBA title, beating the Phoenix Mercury in four games. The sixth seed took home the championship in the WNBA. If you needed any more proof, that the Aces eh, kind of blew a shot this year at winning a title. But I'm curious if you think this, how big of a deal you think this is, Adam? The Phoenix Mercury, after losing the WNBA title, did not show up for a post-game press conference. They did not hold any media availability with the players. The coach did speak, but not the players. And they were, in fact, on the bus leaving the arena before the media actually knew there was not going to be any players available to the media.
1: Yeah, follow-up report today, and this is still rumors not entirely confirmed, that Diana Tarassi wrecked the locker room door uh, for the Phoenix Mercury. So Whoa. clearly there were, there were there were some emotions going on there uh for the mercury um i think as long as someone speaks it's fine i mean yeah i I understand league policy is going to be that the players should speak and it obviously doesn't look good if they don't but in that situation you, you just lost the championship the coach at least gets out there and gives reporters some quotes like yeah i i really have a hard time faulting the players for for getting a little over emotion overly emotional in that moment and uh and leaving, and again, I, I, you know what? I probably should step back from that, and even say, who knows if it was about overly emotional? There could have been other reasons for it, but no, I'm not really uh, going to drag him for it.
2: Diana, you just lost the big game, and now you have to go home, and you have a, a newborn baby. How you feeling? I do think, like what you said, the coach speaking is is the big deal here. If the coach hadn't spoken, like if the coach and the players had just left, gotten on the bus, and went home. I think you're looking around saying, what the hell is that? Like you guys lost and not a single person is going to talk to the media about what happened in that game. Ideally, the players are talking after the game. Ideally, you're giving that access to the media so that they can help tell the story of the WNBA, which is, you know, we hear it all the time about the WNBA wanting more attention. But I think I'm with you. I don't think it's too big of a deal that they got on the bus and left. I will say on the Diana Taurasi part, she's probably the biggest trash talker in WNBA history ripped a door off that's phenomenal and I kind of wish she had given a post-game press conference because it might have been one of the best one that's ever happened all right coming up next major league baseball oh boy Dodgers in trouble and the Astros and Red Sox play game three tonight
0: you know get your bodies right get your minds right you know I'll we'll come around I want to lick our wounds around here our goal every week is to go 1-0 our goal is to get better every week as a team as a team as the season progresses that goal doesn't change can you, know, you talk about the big picture yeah the big picture is the little picture it's next week
2: The Atlanta Braves have a 2-0 lead in the series on the Dodgers back-to-back walk-off wins for the Braves last night. Got one off of Kenley Jansen in the ninth inning to score the game-winning run and win it 5-4. I am not a fan of Dave Roberts bringing in Julio Urias uh, in the eighth inning. So the situation for... The Dodgers, they had a 4-2 lead going into the 8th. The Braves had two lefties due up. Urias, who is a lefty, uh, was the projected Game 4 starter in this series. He threw two days earlier, 59 pitches in Game 5 against the Giants, but Dave Roberts brought him in in the 8th inning because he wanted him to face those lefties. He ended up giving up two runs, blowing the lead, and the uh, Braves tied the game before winning it in the ninth. And I think The big reason that I don't like it, I I am a big fan of getting creative and using your pitching staff and in places they're maybe not used to, or at least we're not used to seeing them. But I think the issue is he's coming off of two days rest where he threw 59 pitches, which isn't a crazy amount, but it's still two days rest after a fairly significant workload. And you're turning around expecting him to start game four, even if it's a limited start at that point. I felt like Dave Roberts jeopardized game four with a guy who wasn't even 75% ready to go in that game of game eight. And it feels like Dave Roberts kind of screwed himself for two of the games in this series, not just one.
1: I understand the idea of wanting platoon advantages, et cetera. And I think it's almost like old ghosts for Dave Roberts when he didn't have a real bullpen. Uh, these are the things that Dave Roberts had to do in past years to try to avoid the fact that he had to go from his starter to Kenley Jansen. It was like Indiana Jones trying to spell out Jehovah to get to the Grail. Like it, it was, you know, just horribly dangerous. Um, he has real relievers yeah,
2: now. Tyler got that reference. I don't care. Uh,
1: the uh, you know the Blake Trinans and Joe Kellys and Brusdar Gratterals give you real arms in that bullpen. Alex Vesia has come out of nowhere and been fantastic i think dave roberts is kind of acting like he's still in the past years of what he had to do with this bullpen when really a guy like blake Tryon, it doesn't matter you don't need a platoon advantage the way that ball moves you're gonna get out right handers and left handers the same way
2: what did you think uh bottom of the ninth inning he brings in Star gratterall and gratterall gets gives up a broken bat little bloop single to start the inning The Braves end up getting that runner to second base with two outs, and Dave Roberts goes and pulls Gratterall to bring in Kinley Jansen, and Eddie Rosario takes the first pitch from Jansen up the middle off Chris Taylor's glove to walk it off. What did you think of bringing in Kinley Jansen with two outs in the ninth?
1: I generally don't like bringing in the closer mid-inning period. Uh, it, It does not seem to be an effective strategy for a lot of closers. They are creatures of routine who generally prefer to come in at the beginning of an inning with a clean slate. Uh, they're not used to pitching with runners on base. They're not used to pitching with runners at second base, which we know is a huge issue for a lot of pitchers worried about sign stealing, et cetera. So I don't love it. And and that's before you consider that Bruce Dark-Gratterall throws over a hundred miles an hour. There'd been up until that game, there have been 18 pitches in the playoffs that at more than a hundred miles an hour, Bruce Dark-Gratterall had thrown all of them.
2: <laughs> I love that guy too. He's like my favorite pitcher to watch because it's ridiculous. So here's my issue with the way Dave Roberts used Gratterall and Jansen in the ninth. You're in a tie game, and it's the bottom of the ninth. The only way the Dodgers win that game, they have to get six more outs. If you were willing to use, if you were thought in your mind, I'm going to have to go to Kinley Jansen if Gratterall gets to a fourth hitter then you should have started the inning with Kenley Jansen and then get to the 10th and use Gratterall or whoever the hell you want to use then in the 10th inning, because you're going to, you're going to have to get six outs. So use Kenley Jansen in the bottom of the ninth. If you're going to use him, once you get back to the top of the order anyways, and if not just stick with Gratterall, because again, you have to get those six outs because what he did was to get six outs. If that works out for Dave Roberts and Kinley Jansen gets an out on to Eddie Rosario, he only got two outs out of Bruce Star Graderall and like it was like on 12 pitches or something like that. And now Kenley Jansen had to get the one out and then has to come back out and get three more in the bottom of the 10th. It just if you're the away team in that scenario, you you know you have to get six outs to win. If you're the home team in the ninth, you you know, hey, if we get three outs, we could win it in the bot. But when you're the home team or the away team, I mean, you know, you have to get six outs to win. I, I don't feel like he was maximizing that. And it was more of a, hey it's all or nothing right now in the ninth inning and we'll worry about the 10th inning later and not a big fan of that thought process.
1: No. And you know, a lot's been discussed and written about the idea of how you use your closer on the road versus uh, how you use them at home. And also the idea of using your best pitcher when you really need them the most. But I think that's overthinking it the way that we saw Dave Roberts go about it to say, I need one out. Who's the best pitcher to get me one out. I don't think that's Kenley Jansen mid-inning. I think the best pitcher to get me one out in that spot is the guy who throws 103, who had a pitch earlier in the playoffs with 19 inches of horizontal run. It's going 103, and it moved a foot and a half. That's my best chance of getting weak contact or even a strikeout.
2: The one hit that Gratterall gave up in that inning was about four inches in off the plate over 100 miles an hour, shattered the bat, but it somehow made it over the infield and in front of the outfielders. That was it. Like, that's not a Bruce Starr or Adderall problem. That's just baseball's kind of stupid sometimes, and guys get rewarded for things like that. I Gratterall's awesome. I probably would have loved him yeah.
1: anyways. My favorite Bruce stark Gratterol f- fact is, uh, remember where he came from. This is from the Kenta trade, right? And yes. initially, uh, they failed the physical on yeah. Gratterall and had to redo the entire trade. <laughs> and Kenta was horrible this year. For the Minnesota Twins, and Bruce Dar is a guy that Dave Roberts brings in either in the ninth when he needs to keep a tie game, or in the second when his starter fails.
2: <laughs> All right, uh, quickly here before we end this segment, I will say for the first time, I am worried the Astros are not going to win the American League this year.
1: Whoa, uh, I am surprised to hear that. Why? Why is that?
2: The the pitching problems they. <sighs> Not great at the moment, not having Lance McCullers. I thought they could survive that, but then when you don't get anything from your first two starts and Luis Garcia's injured, we'll see how significant that is. They're not taking him off the roster, so that would imply they think he can pitch sometime in this series, but maybe that just is a safety net because if they take him off the roster, they lose him for the World Series. Uh, But basically, the Astros need one of two things to happen over the next two games. They either need Jose or Keaty to actually pitch deep into a game like five, six, and hopefully seven innings would be spectacular. If that doesn't happen, the Astros offense has to win them one of these next two games. I think one or both of those things are absolutely possible, but there's also a chance neither one happens. There's a chance Jose Arquiti is out in the third inning and the Astros are looking at having to use their bullpen to get six innings and then turn around and have a full-blown bullpen game in game four. And if the offense doesn't put up eight or nine in one of those two games, I think they could lose this series.
1: Well, I would also keep in mind that in game two, you ran into the only Red Sox starter worth a damn. Yes. Uh, And Nathan Evaldi can probably only pitch one more time in this series. So I wouldn't worry terribly about that because Chris Sale is a shell of himself right now. And the Red Sox don't have another respectable starting pitcher. And I think their bullpen depth is going to get pretty tested before too long as well because – the best that they've been able to do is convert Tanner Houck from a starter to a multi-inning guy, and the rest of it is trying to piece together the Garrett Whitlocks of the world. So I'm not really all that worried about the Red Sox being able to hold the Astros off the board. Frankly, I I, I wouldn't be worried at all if I were an Astros oh. fan right now. I watched a lot of this Red Sox team uh, during the year, and they hit two grand slams in a game. If they're going to keep hitting two grand slams in a game, you don't have a chance. But uh, that seems like maybe a fluky occurrence.
2: By the way, quickly on uh, pitcher usage here, Dusty Baker asking Jake Odorizzi to come into a game when Jake Odorizzi had not even started to get warm or get loose and Jake Odorizzi had no idea. That he might be coming into a game so that Jake Odorizzi had to go through his entire normal, what he would do if he was starting a game. What the hell are you doing, Dusty Baker? Like, I, I get the thought process of bringing Jake Odorizzi in, and he's one pitch away from that actually working out pretty well in the Astros' favor, But, like, go to a reliever to get out of the second inning. And if you want to go to Jake Odorizzi, give him the time to warm up. Not, hey, we're going to waste 30 minutes and make Odorizzi squeeze this into a 10-minute when he said it normally takes him 30 to 45 minutes to get warm. Like,
1: oh, come on. You're being way too hard on Dusty. This is just Dusty's more creative way to blow out a starter's arm because he hasn't been able to do it since (laughs) Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor.
2: All right, coming up next, Ryan Wallace joins the show. He his pants.
0: This isn't the Alex Ovechkin Power Hour.
1: This is the VGK Update with Ryan Wallace. Follow him on Twitter at RyanHockeyGuy. I'm out. Listen to the VGK
2: Insider Show over on Fox Sports Las Vegas from 4 to 6. Also check out Ryan for pre-post and intermission shows during Golden Knights games on Fox Sports Las Vegas. All right, Ryan, Max Pacioretty could miss like a month, six weeks here with a fracture in his foot. Mark Stone, still no real update on when he could be back. They've also got the trio of Howden, Waugh and Carrier that are back to skating but not practicing with the team. Matthias Janmarks on the COVID protocol list. It's about as bad as a way a season could start in terms of players being unavailable in the big picture. How big of a concern is all this as far as the Golden Knights making the playoffs and maybe more importantly being the number one seed in the Pacific Division?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a real concern. Obviously, uh, you're missing two of your maybe four or five best players in patch ready and stone. And again, as you mentioned, we don't really have a concrete or definitive update on Mark Stone outside of day-to-day. We probably learn a bit more today, I would assume. Uh, But I mean, it's patch ready. Timeline somewhere in the six week range. You don't have Alex Tuck, and you're not going to have Alex Tuck. Like there's no rescue of, of Alex Tuck coming back and helping to solidify things to feed out until at least February. Um, and yeah, I mean if Mark Stone's out for you know four four to six weeks or even longer, then you're playing with without two thirds of your top line. So you've got Chandler Stephenson as the only remaining member of that top line, and who do you put around him? How do you balance out the remaining talent that you have? Um, To me, it'll really allow the Golden Knights to dial in their system. It'll really force them to play some low-scoring games because they're just not going to have the same offensive firepower that they usually have with those guys in the lineup.
1: Ryan, we obviously know it's, part of the Golden Knights system to have aggressive defensemen in the offensive zone. How do you think that might or might not change if they're not being able to rely on their forwards to create as many opportunities?
0: Yeah, I, you know, it's it's interesting because I think that this has the potential to, to really (laughs) To really allow Alex Petrangelo and Shea and Theodore to maybe take a next step. Like, I think you're going to have to find offense somewhere, right? And if it's not coming from your offense, from your forwards, you're going to need your defenseman to step up a little bit more. I think you'll even see a more active Alex Petrangelo in the offensive zone. I think you're going to see the, the green light a little bit more for Shea Theodore, and this will become an offense that really more or less runs through the defenseman for the Golden Knights. I think that you've got good enough skaters on the back end to be able to do that and not get themselves too far out of position. And it's going to be a situation where I think it shifts a little bit from trying to create offense with your forwards to mainly funneling everything through what you do defensively. And the power play is going to have to get better. You're going to have to find ways to score goals. The power play is going to be the best option for you.
2: For better or worse sounds like this team might look like Pete DeBoer's second to last season in San Jose when everything went through Brent Burns and Eric Carlson.
0: Yeah you're absolutely right I mean there's there's similarities there for sure and um, I think that this is kind of forced hand right like it, it's not necessarily what Pete DeBoer wanted this season to be but he does have experience in getting incredible offensive production out of defensemen and you know, where you fall on Brent Burns and Eric Carlson right now, it doesn't really make it doesn't really matter. Um, the Golden Knights are going to have to funnel offense to Alex Petrangelo more than they already do, and through Shea Theodore more than they already do. You're going to have to depend on Alex Martinez to put some pucks in the back of the net probably on the power play more than you already do. And, you know, I guess it's a good thing, right, that the Golden Knights have those types of players on the back end that are known for offensive production.
1: So, Ryan, if we're worried about the Golden Knights in terms of the division, in terms of the, the hole they could potentially dig themselves, who are we worried about? Which teams uh, in the division do you think could actually take advantage of the injuries and weaknesses with this uh, VGK squad?
0: Um, you know, I mean, I think the, the obvious choice on who the second-best team is in this division is the Edmonton Oilers. And it's it's because you've got Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, like, you've got two of the best Players in the world, you're going to be able to win games in the regular season. So I think you worry about the Edmonton Oilers for sure. The Calgary Flames, um, I'm still not sure what to make of the Calgary Flames. I don't really know what the Vancouver Canucks are. Uh, I'm not so much worried about those two teams. And then you've got California teams. Obviously, the LA Kings look really, really good against Vegas. Um, And then they look pretty good in a losing effort against Minnesota. So are the Kings better? It's too early to tell, but if they are, they can maybe make some ground here. Um, Anaheim's more exciting, but I, I don't know that they're there yet. <laughs> San Jose, it's kind of the same thing. like We don't really know what to make of that team. There's a lot of young players that are, are hoping to make an impact, and if they do, then that'll determine the Sharks' season. And then Seattle, 1-1-1 so far on the year. like They've had moments where they looked good, uh, I don't think the Golden Knights are going to lose too much ground, because I still think there's enough talent to win games. I just think that it's going to be more of a fight to try to lock up, you know, the number one seed in the Pacific Division. What, what seemed like a sure thing about a week and a half ago is suddenly going to be a dogfight for the Golden Knights.
2: All right. Uh, let's – I'm going to try to figure out the best way to do this. All right. Let's say Ryan Wallace, you're the coach today. Uh, let's say Howden, Carrier, and Waugh are all back for the next game on Wednesday. Who is your top – okay, are you keeping Marshall, Carlson, Smith together, and who is your other top two line besides those three?
0: Uh, Uh, I don't think I'm going to keep Marshall, Carlson, and Smith together. Uh, I'm going to break them up. At least Marshall – okay, I think I'm going to go with – this is not easy at all. I'm gonna go with Peyton Krebs, William Carlson, and Riley Smith. And then I'm gonna go with Jonathan Marchus, Nolan Patrick, Yevgeny Gdanov. Um and then Nick Waugh, probably my third line. Did you say Yanmark's available to me?
2: Uh, no, he's still out. Oh gosh. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Appreciate you.
0: Um, then just throw whoever's there. Uh, I, I I don't it's so it's such a hard concept. So like Nick Waugh would be on my third line. I'd probably put Keaton Colasar with Wah. Um, maybe we're looking at Will Carrier, third liner. Like Carrier, Wah, and Colasar is your third line. And then Brett Howden will center the fourth line. Um,
2: you did leave out Chandler Stevenson. Did... You haven't used Stevenson anywhere.
0: You know, that that tends to happen here. <laughs> <laughs> that tends to happen here. Um, okay, so scratch that. So I'm going to move... Okay, I'm going to move Nick Waugh. This is terrible. This is so hard. Uh, I'm going to move Nick Waugh to the wing with Chandler Stevenson and and Keegan Colasar. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, right. I feel really I feel really good about that. So your lineup,
2: your lineup right now, first line, Krebs, Carlson, Smith. Second line, Marcia so- Patrick, Dodonov. Third line... Yep. Wah Stevenson, Colasar, fourth line, mm-hmm. Howden,
0: Carrier, Coglin. No, it's not Coglin. <laughs> I'll, I'll call up. Uh, I'll call up Gage, Quinney or Jake, Whistling, or something like that. That's what I'll do. Oh, what a night. It's all your fault. You, you're not going to do a the yen Bart back. Right? Like, he should be back. Right? Like time. I don't know. I yeah, thought it. I- I- Thought he'd be
2: back already, and he still hasn't been back yet. I, I, listen, I gave you three guys: I gave you Howden, Waugh, and uh, Carrier. I don't know if all three of those guys are going to be back.
0: Yeah, well, you kind of just made it a little bit easier on me. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, you're welcome.
2: Um, all right, uh, throw out. I don't want any fancy stats. I don't want any goals saved above average. I don't even want save percentage. Which goalie mm-hmm. gives up more total goals this year, Flurry or Leonard?
0: Oh, Flurry. Not even. It's not going to be close either. <laughs>
2: How many times is he going to get pulled before a game's over?
0: Uh, Man, let me think. 82 games. He'll probably start at least 65. uh, Maybe 10. He might get pulled 10 times this year. Oh, that's not good.
2: That's not good. Poor Marc-Andre Fleury. I'm blocked. Has Alan Walsh tweeted out any memes about the Blackhawks uh, stabbing him in the back?
0: Uh, no, because it's it's not anything that like the organization is doing. It's just their bad defense.
2: Agency. Well, he he can look up the defenseman's name. He can put one of their names on the sword.
0: It doesn't matter. It's all of them. You can't <laughs> put that many names on a sword.
2: <laughs> all right, he's Ryan Wallace. BGK Insider Show over on Fox Sports Las Vegas from four to six. Ryan, as always, we appreciate it.
0: All right, thanks guys.
2: So there you go. I it's Alan Walsh needs a bigger sword. He does. He engrave more names on it. He needs the Stanley Cup style sword where there's rings. There's different levels. He has to. He has to take every couple of years. He has yes. to take some <laughs> names off the sword yes. and add a new tip. Yeah. People keep disrespecting Mark on Fleury. It's uh. But that ec- that uh, exercise I just had Ryan Wallace attempt to do. Granted, we don't really know who is or isn't potentially available for Wednesday's game. But what the lineup's going to look like is potentially unbelievable, depending on how many of these guys actually end up coming back all right coming up next we finally have found the best thing about the marcus arroyo era
1: this is a 41 yarder to try to tie it with 512 to go and the clock moving everyone's lined up the crowd getting into it the ball is snapped spotted the kick is blocked it's blocked by the rebels the rebels blocked the field goal attempt with 458 to go and it is a possibility i don't have confirmation that Wyselie Boavesi was the one who blocked it.
2: Good job, Russ Langer. We'll get more into UNLV football and the loss, the on-field performance from UNLV against Utah State in Bischoff's briefs, but the important part of UNLV's game against Utah State. The introduction of the sideline slot machine that UNLV now uses to celebrate touchdowns and turnovers. For those of you that haven't seen it, it is a big slot machine on the sideline and it works. You pull the lever and the reels start spinning. And when Charles, so Charles Williams scored the first touchdown of the game for UNLV, he ran over and pulled it and the reels popped up 702. I don't know what any of the other reels say. I don't know what any of the options are that it could pop up, but it popped up seven zero two for Charles Williams. This is hands down; it's not even close. The best thing that has happened in the last two years under Marcus Arroyo. This and his hat.
1: So hold on a second. Oops. Is is the seven zero two the number of days since UNLV last won a game? Is that what's going to come up every time they pull the, the lever on the slots? We're getting there. Six eighty seven. We're
2: closing in on seven zero two. That'll be good. Okay. That's a good joke. I'm going to steal that on Twitter one day.
1: You're welcome. Um, so, <laughs> I have one question about this. Why did we have to wait until mid-season to get the slot machine? <laughs> Do well, you know the answer to this?
2: I I don't. I have no idea. I don't either. I
1: no. I I don't either. I I feel like I feel like we should have had that earlier in the year. Although, frankly, you know, like against Iowa State, you probably wouldn't have gotten to use it a whole lot. <laughs> um, I love in general that the last two UNLV football coaches have just said, "You know what? I am not going to shy away from the fact that it's Vegas." Yes. Hey, right? why? The stadium is basically on the strip now. Tony Sanchez, you know, went all Vegas in terms of the marketing, like go for it, have some fun with it. We need fun. We don't have wins, we need fun.
2: There is no reason for a UNLV football coach to not embrace the fact that he's coaching in las vegas there's zero reason for them not to do it and you know you mentioned tony sanchez they put las vegas on the pants they put this incorporated onto their field and their jerseys like they went all in on it and this is sort of doubling down on that from the marcus arroyo perspective or whosever idea this was to have a slot machine on the sideline hey you look back five or ten years ago a lot of people probably would have turned their head sideways at a slot machine on the sideline but i think it's a lot more acceptable now and it's it's tremendous. I mean it's it's one of it's probably my favorite thing of any of these sort of turnover props or celebration props. It might be my favorite one. I think Akron had a pencil and <laughs> somebody had a backpack that were just so bizarre and so weird. You're like that's stupid but I like it. But this one is it's terrific because and the way you and I've used it Charles Williams scores a touchdown runs to the sideline, like the entire offense runs over and crowds around him. He pulls it. It pops up 702 and they keep celebrating. Like it's a terrific prop when it's actually used as well.
1: So this is one of the first ones that feels like a real evolution from the OG, the Miami turnover chain. Like everything else is something you wear or put around your neck, right? Like this is a real live prop that makes sense. That makes sense for the city. Um, But I want it to keep evolving. It can't just be the reels coming up with, with 702 or whatever else it is. I feel like what we really need is like old school Vegas when coins would come out of the machine, right? Like we need something <laughs> to come out of the machine for the players to take like maybe the turnover chain or whatever could come out of the machine and you could have both things uh, i don't know what what else could be it tyler what else could uh, what else no. could come out of the unlv slot machine? i mean if you... we're
2: gonna do vegas you pull it and then it just comes up with like three random numbers and it says uh, play again
1: Oh, see no because you won jared
2: you can score the touchdown you get a little voucher uh, adam and you got to <laughs> run it over a little piece of paper you got to take it over to marcus arroyo and then he gives you whatever you won
1: he gives you your own pair of clear glasses.
2: Yes, exactly. Yes, your right? own pair of non-prescription glasses. We set up a cash cage next to the <laughs> yes. turnover slot machine. Yeah. And we just find whatever coach. I don't know what coach is is Do you one. have a player's card? Yeah. <laughs> Do you need to have one? <laughs> Charles Williams yeah. might be the only one. Um, <laughs> now, also on fun UNLV topics, um, This got tweeted out by Josh Claywell. There is a high school in Kentucky, Casey County High School. And you'll see this all the time in high schools. They will steal logos from professional teams or college teams because, well, they don't have their own graphic design team, I guess. And normally teams don't go after high schools because it's kind of a bad look. But the logo that Casey County High School in Kentucky decided to steal was UNLV's abandoned Hey Reb logo, the one that everybody hated, the, the one that best UNLV logo that UNLV's ever had got rid of like immediately. The only thing they changed was the little outline that was in red. They changed it to blue. I I can't figure out why Casey County High School thought this was a good logo to use.
1: Uh high schools do run into this problem. In fact, uh there is a high school here in Las Vegas that ran into that problem. Uh, If you are going to be the Longhorns, you might just want to make sure you're not identical to Texas because you will hear from the folks in Austin. Oh, they'll sue you over it. They will at least threaten you. Wow. Wow. Got to get them. Texas can't
2: win a lot of games, but you can win those lawsuits about your logo. Um, One other quick note on Casey County High School. Their nickname is also the Rebels, so I'm guessing they just Googled Rebel logo, thought, "Ooh, that looks cool. Let's make it red and or make it blue instead of red, and that'll be our logo from now on." Even though nobody knows what it is, it's a bad it's a bad logo for Las Vegas for UNLV, who paid 50 grand for it. It's a terrible logo for a high school. What are they doing? Terrible decision. Fire that athletic director.